Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are. This is Chris, and it's bright and early on a freezing cold Sydney morning. And I never thought I'd say that, to be honest with you. I thought I'd say it's bright and early on a freezing cold Melbourne morning, or a Hobart morning. But I'm telling you here, the real feel is one um, for you Melbourneites uh, and Hobartites and New Zealandites and Canadian people who are listening to this. You probably think this is a bit funny because one is probably not all that cold, but by golly, I, we have our doors and windows of our apartment down here at Bondi Beach wide open because we're near the beach. And uh, so I'm wearing a down jacket inside the house. <laughs> um, today we're talking about a beautiful topic, something that I think is not talked about enough, and that is rest. I don't think you can rest sitting still. Now, I, I think resting, uh, as, as if you've already purchased yourself an aura ring, you'll know that the aura ring gives you a really bad uh, recovery score uh, and readiness score for the next day if you've spent the day sitting around the office or sitting around the home watching TV. It encourages you and it measures you and your metabolism based on the fact that you get up and you get around and you walk around. And I don't think human beings were ever built or ever will be built to stay static. Um, my neighbor downstairs, so gorgeous, he's a young 13-year-old boy and with his lovely long hair, he he uh, has gone through the phases of sitting still behind a laptop and a computer, but his parents had bought him 3D goggles. Uh, I don't know what, what they're called, but I hear him jumping up and down and thumping around and uh, obviously what's going on inside the goggles and the headphones that come attached to it is uh, a battle uh, royale. Um, and he, it, it, even the gaming, world where they have rather obese uh, boys sitting behind screens watching games has evolved to engage the whole physical being and he's he's jumping around and man sometimes he really thumps uh, but it means he has to I, I assume he's whirring around shooting somebody or whatever it is in the game um, and so even the idea of sitting behind a flat screen computer is uh, is I think is antique and uh, you know standing desks have sort of hinted at the fact that uh, sitting around for extended periods of time in one place has never really been a good thing uh, if you go into uh, the east uh, as, as I've spent a massive amount of my life living in uh, places like India or Nepal or Bhutan I go across in Tibet a couple of times uh, and you, you, you do get encouraged, even Japan uh, doing Zen, you do get encouraged to sit, but the training that you have to do in order to sit, it's called yoga. And yoga was the original practice, Tai Chi as well, but these were the original practices that were not developed so that you could do a triple somersault back bends in a G-string like the current uh, trend, the, the idea was so that you could sit for long periods of time with your legs completely bowed out and folded and your back perfectly straight. And, and I think 
we'll, we, you know, we've lost connection with that. But when you're at an office, you actually are in Zen. You're, you're meant to be sitting with your back off the back of the chair, your feet firmly planted on the ground, crossed if possible, uh, which is not always polite for people wearing dresses uh, uh, or skirts. And so the whole anatomy of sitting and the backrest of a chair and the ergonomics of all this is ridiculous because it's, it's encouraging people to sit for longer periods in the worst possible place uh, in a bad posture, which is leaning back against the back of the chair. You will never find anybody in the East meditating on a cushion leaning back against the, the wall, even with a really severe back. What they'll get do is sit for as long as possible, stand up, but they will spend significant time stretching their body to make it stronger and better at sitting. So ultimately, there are people who sat in meditation for months on end. You can hear a, a, a police car or an ambulance heading towards Bondi, all the way from Bondi Junction. And you can hear it coming all the way down the Bondi Road, getting louder and louder anyway. So I wanted to talk about taking a few hours off on the weekend, just as, a, as, a, as a, an example. But what I'm going to talk about here is as much relevant to, uh, to taking a few hours off, resting your headspace over the weekend as it is, here we go. Somebody in a bad place early in the morning. It's, uh, I really feel for him, uh, especially when it's coming towards the beach. It's typically someone who's done a bit of a dumper on the beach or slipped off a rock or something. Um, so it, it's, as, it's as relevant to taking a few hours rest on the weekend as it is to going to bed at night. So we have these aura rings, O-U-R-A ring, and it's like it goes on your finger, it's a ring on your finger, and uh, there are other devices, but I think so far from what I can see, this is the, the most simple and handy one. And uh, handy, haha. It goes on your finger and mostly it measures things in your, in your night. And the aura ring uh, doesn't lie. We say aura doesn't lie. And so uh, my partner and I go to bed at the same time every night. That's a, our ritual. But she comes to bed what I would call uh, still awake. However, when I get into the bed, it, 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 I have the Pavlovian experience of getting into bed ready to fall asleep. And so um, she gets penalized all the time from her aura ring falling asleep too quick <laughs> that may be my fault guys but she falls asleep too quick and the ring says you if you go to bed and you don't take five uh, 15 minutes or so to slide into sleep you're going to bed and the and the sleep you get is poor so when i get into bed i do all the uh, uh exercises that i'm about to describe to you that i would recommend you do for a couple of hours alone on a weekend. Now I think the thing on top of your head needs a rest, just like a space needs a rest, you know, like your house needs a rest, your car needs a rest, your bike needs a rest, your shoes need, everything, like even with running shoes, um, uh, my partner, she's in a triathlon, Lotta Ernst, she, 
she probably has 30 pairs of shoes. <laughs> she rotates four pairs. And so even her shoes get a, get a rest. Not arrested, although I'm going to tell you, out of the 30, I could arrest about 20 of the pairs. Uh, they are really seriously um, uh, ready to be disposed of, but um, she hoards shoes. <laughs> and, and so anyway, get off the topic. And so resting. We need to rest, and we need a couple of hours on a Saturday or a Sunday where we just simply get up, Go to church or do whatever it is that you love to do. Go to the swimming pool. Uh, go for a walk alone and have a rest. And then if you've got kids, that means you have to share that time with your partner. Let's have a sip of tea. It's early in the morning. So a cup of tea is really nice. So the first thing in a space of rest is to... Is to be at peace. Now, how do you get at peace? Well, you make a decision that the things that you can change, you, you will work on, and the things you can't change, you will let go. And that means you can't change a, a, a child over the age of three, certainly over the age of 14, they're cooked. So you can't change that person. And so uh, with children or partner, and certainly I, I'm assuming your partner's over the age of 13 and 14, then you know you can't change that person. Nothing you can do will change that person at all. Uh, so learning how to love things as they are, even if they aren't as you'd like them to be, really is a pushback into your ability to be at peace inside yourself. The second part of that be at peace and and I think that's a big piece of work a big chunk of work to find a way to just become at peace with things as they are um, you see an ambulance officer walking towards a uh, an, uh, an accident site they don't run even though there's somebody in trauma <coughs> they must they recognize the importance of being safe inside yourself and, not, and, and therefore being somewhat detached from everything, which is in another language, if you want to go Eastern, unconditional love. The second one is to resolve all uncertainties. So, uh, you know, work starts on a Monday morning or the day starts tomorrow morning and you know tomorrow morning you can think about something. You can put your mind to something, but for now, you have to be able to say, I resolve all uncertainties. And uh, the way I do that is to trust the universe. I just go, yep, tomorrow morning, uh, it, it, uh, uh, or, or this afternoon, or later on today, I will put my mind to this topic. But I trust uh, that when I do put my mind to it, I will, I will sort it out, or I will get it clear, or I will reduce my... Uh, uh, uncertainty about that topic but for now I'm going to let it go the third one is fill your heart with gratitude the past is the past and uh, whatever's happened to bring us to today to this moment in time is gone and the only thing that keeps us lingering 
in, in the past is ingratitude. So working out the mathematics, and that's one of the big processes I teach in coaching about inspiration, about inspired thinking, is to be thankful for whatever's transpired right up to this second in time. Now, your partner might have left, grandma might be sick, the computer might have broken down, the, you might have missed a rent check, uh, maybe you didn't get the company bonus, maybe the company's got not going as well as it should, maybe you had a blue with somebody and said something that upset them. There's a thousand things that can transpire that you can hang on to and say, I wish I had not have done that. But there's a benefit to everything. There's a silver uh, lining in every cloud. There is, a, there is an opportunity to find gratitude and the mastery of the ability to find gratitude for whatever's happened so far is the mastery of the ability to be thankful for the past. Thankful for the future, it's a little bit uh, harem scarum uh, and we'll talk about that in a secchi. But thankful for the past brings you to the present. And a person who's extremely thankful for their history, no matter how tortuous or uh, inverted or convoluted or dysfunctional they perceive it to be, a person who is thankful for their past turns up in the moment. And I would say of all the things I've ever done in the totality of my life, uh, one of the three or four most powerful things that I've ever done is to learn a process, it's called the discard process, learn the process, which is the mathematics of being thankful for whatever has transpired so far in my life, right up to this moment in time, so that I can be at peace. I do not want the past to be something I'm grumpy about or running away from or don't wish to have anymore or wish to uh, deny or wish to resent or wish to regret, uh, that really leads us to, to an early grave and it certainly leads us to ill health. So if you haven't already mastered the art of doing a discard, that's not the four column, this is 16 columns of a discard form. In fact, when you learn to master it, it goes right out to 27 columns. But it's so cool to be able to do that so that, you know, um, when, my first relationship failed. It took me three years, even five years to get over it. When my last relationship failed, it took me a weekend. And I, and I think a weekend is not too bad to deal with it. And it's a, a ream of paper. And I committed myself to doing the discard form. So I had, after, on, uh, uh, after the weekend, I had no regrets, even though on Friday, I felt so traumatized and so upset by what had transpired with my, um, with the way that the relationship finished. I was really angry and really upset and I could have carried that for the next 20 years. So by Monday, I was 100% grateful for all the dark side and the light side and for the way it finished and who it finished with and how it sort of expired. And I just sat there going, okay, what's today? There was nothing lingering. And I think this ability to fill your heart with gratitude becomes, I, say, I would say it's the benchmark of a good night's sleep and it's the benchmark of rest. And sometimes the work that needs to be done, it needs to be an investment rather than a momentary flash in the pan. You say, I'm going to invest myself this year 
in making sure nothing of my past, in other words, I'm going to master the discard form. I'm going to do hundreds of discard forms in the coaching process and be coached through them. And I'm going to use my coaching time to make sure I am grateful for every second that I've existed. The fourth one is love. You know, it's a, it's a funny word, and we talk about it frequently in this work because I think it's really the only word we need to hold on to in life. Love your work. Do what you love. Love what you do. Love your friends. Love the world. Love, love, love. But it, it, love is a, a really uh, strange word because, as I think I might have mentioned uh, in the podcast the other day, uh, if you mention love to a thousand people, a thousand people define it differently. Because it's a feeling, it's an experience. So I would rather say than love, I would, uh, 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 but any level of it is okay, but I would rather say unconditional love is the, is the absolute aspiration, which means that it's closing the eyes and in a sense saying the world is a beautiful place. It doesn't necessarily function how I would like. It doesn't necessarily conform with my expectations. But that is, the, that is the problem with my expectations and my likes is that they are pre-built and I can modify my expectation, modify my likes to meet my unconditional love or I can sabotage unconditional love in order to try to manifest my likes and my expectations. This is a, this is a duality, this is a conflict that is so deeply uh, traumatic that I really think it's the cosmic giggle between the soul and the emotions. You know, there's a great quote that says, um, nothing of the senses ever satisfies the soul. The soul is seeking, seeking unconditional love, which means it doesn't matter when, doesn't matter how, doesn't matter who, doesn't matter if, doesn't matter what. It's just simply love. It's unconditional love. And that's your life purpose. And that's the sort of stuff we work on to give you a sense of uh, unconditional love. However, nothing of that satisfies the senses. And while we're sensorily driven, which is uh, engaged in good smell and bad smell, engaged in good words and bad words, engaged in uh, right thinking and wrong thinking, engaged in good behavior and bad behavior, engaged in pleasing people and not pleasing people, which is what you would call life, uh, be realistic, because if you don't engage in those levels of, uh, of emotion and, and sensory things, you're going to end up sitting by yourself in a cave. So the, the dilemma we have is the, is the senses and the soul, and they ask for two different things. There's no alignment between them, and there can, never can be, because nothing of the senses ever satisfies the soul. For the sake of this conversation, we're talking about love and we're talking about one of the things that brings us to rest. Well, sensory love is a nice warm feeling and it brings us some degree of rest. So nobody's going to argue against that. But it doesn't satisfy the soul, which is after unconditional love. And everybody has a soul. This unconditional love is absolute peace. It allows you to sleep deep. It allows you to think deep. It allows you to play music deep. It allows you to play sport deep. It is a transition from one universe into another. It's a parallel universe. 
and sensory behavior and soul-driven behavior are two totally different topics and they compete. It's the cosmic giggle. Jesus said it in the Bible, uh, I believe. Um, uh, be in the world, sensory, but not of the world, uh, but not of the world, soul. Or another one, another quote in Buddhism is as above, so below. Simply meaning that <coughs> as above, meaning your soul, your soul can penetrate into the sensory world. But boy, oh boy, I haven't met anybody yet, not one single person, not one of all the monks, the Dalai Lama, the Tabi Joyce, all the people I've worked with around the world who can bring as above into so below uh, for a sustained period. Because the senses take over. And they, in a way, they must, because we, we have to walk across the road and hear cars coming so the ears can't just shut down and go, it's fine. So unconditional love is the aspiration. Sensory love is acceptable until then. <coughs> All right. the, the next one is looking forward to the future. The reason we fill the heart with gratitude for the past is because as soon as we finish doing that, as soon as we get a sense of uh, no regret, as soon as we get a sense of thankfulness to our parents for bringing us good or bad, and all the goods become bad, all the bads become good, as soon as we get a sense of unconditional love, as soon as we get a sense of gratitude and unconditional love for the past, the first door that opens is the future, and that's the imagination. So. We uh, lose connection with this imagination because you go to work and say, imagine something, and, and everybody will look at you going, well, you know, what's the Excel spreadsheet say? Our imagination is our spirit. And every time somebody condemns another human being for, uh, for their imagination, for their dreams, for their wild ideas, uh, they're killing the spirit. And sometimes you find delinquent people, uh, young delinquent people, have really wild dreams. And those wild dreams are taking them off on a road that doesn't really fit with s social conditions. And it's only because their wild dreams of the future are based on wild pain from the past. So if you can take them as a teacher, the, the delinquent kids, and say, how about I be a role model, a person who has no regrets, who doesn't live in the past, but has freedom to decide what they will do and imagine, because those imaginations are not brought to you, they are yours, about the future. So in closing your eyes, looking through the third eye and imagining a little story about the future, which is not based on running away from what happened today or yesterday or 10 years ago or 20 or 30, Imagining a future based on not running away from something, wow, that's powerful. And that brings you calm. Which brings me to the next point, calming the body. I believe absolutely that human calm, human rest, requires the use of herbs. I really do believe in the, in the, in the use of chamomile and the calming herbs that are available to us in plants. Now, we usually consume these in the form of tea, but there's things like melatonin, there's, 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 there's all sorts of uh, herbs and 
spices that you can get in the health shops, totally legal. Uh, uh, you don't have to go into the illegality of marijuana and other things, but there are, there are beautiful herbs that are really strong. There's a rescue remedy, for example, that you can buy in any health food shop, and it's a tincture of a homeopathic uh, uh, um, concoction, can we call it, that will calm your nerves. And I think sometimes the agitation of everyday life and the busyness of our day-to-day existence and our level of engagement in helping people at a very high level causes our nervous system to become overactivated. Um, exhaustion, tiredness. Uh, and then we start saying, oh, you're eating too late and you're doing this and that. We start to intervene in the daily schedule <coughs> with sometimes a little impractical recommendation, such as not eating dinner, uh, which is a really great thing to do, as long as you don't have kids and you don't have uh, homework to do at night and things like that. But if you do have kids and you do have homework at night and you do need to keep your energy up, the slide off the high down into the low can sometimes require alcohol. It can sometimes require um, all sorts of crazy stuff before bed. And rather than to go down the path, which is going to cause obesity and heart failure and all these things, we can engage with herbs. Chamomile's not the only one. It doesn't. It tastes like cat piss, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> so there are other things you can use. But in a health food shop, calm and quiet and uh, uh, herbs to help with. And I'm a big believer in this stuff, that you can take a herbal pill, that will not be addictive and not cause any side effects, health problem, but calms the nervous system so the body can start going to stillness. Another method is the corpse pose, which is lying dead flat on the floor for 10 minutes with some music playing in your ears or whatever. So uh, one of the things I do when I go to bed is I do, um, I, I do the uh, uh, corpse pose. I just relax my toe, relax my foot, relax my knee, relax my hip, relax my back, relax my other toe, relax my knee and my other leg, relax my hip, relax my back, relax my shoulder, relax my hand. And I go through a checklist of my body, just releasing each piece of my body. And it's so surprising sometimes I'll find actually my whole foot's jammed up in tension or my whole knee is, is, is anchored. And it's just because I'm holding tension in a part of my body. And just releasing it with a breath or releasing it with a thought uh, really helps my body go into a deep level of sleep. The space itself becomes um, a variable when you're resting. So to rest in the middle of, um, of uh, Burke Street in Melbourne or to rest in the middle of George Street in Sydney or, or s some such place anywhere in the world, Wall Street in New York, it it's not so easy to achieve that. Uh, and so we usually gravitate to nature or we gravitate to places, you know, our, our bedrooms where the space is quiet. So there's no external intrusions from the space. And I think making sure that you're, whatever, if it's at night, your bedroom is, is, is at peace. Now that it can include, uh, and I, I'm still, the jury's out on this, but I know I cannot sleep with my head to the north or the south. 
I can't, even in a hotel room. I'll sleep across the bed. I have to be facing east or west. And that's pretty important to me. Uh, I have actually had good periods of six months of good sleep with my head facing the west. But the real peace, the real calm and deep rest I, I, I achieve is when my, the head, my pillow, is in the, in the uh, direction of east. So this is the space. And um, I even uh, watched a lecture by a guy talking to business people about uh, recovery at night about putting a towel along the bottom of the uh, hotel room door to stop light coming from the uh, hallway. And so darkening the room till it's pitch black and, and knowing where the light switch is, because we all wake up <laughs> from time to time in hotel rooms not remembering even where we are. Uh, well, I have. Uh, so we kind of like do need to know where the light switch is, but darkening a room some people use eye masks, and, and uh, if you can get used to that on your face, it's a brilliant way to darken the world so that your, your physiology recognises that you are actually out in the dark and there's no stimulant coming through in the, in the form of light or glow. Which leads to the sec second last point, to digitize, to remove digitized things from your room. Now, it's not the digitized things in the room that's the thing. It's the Wi-Fi, it's the Bluetooth, it's the uh, radiation of fluorescence and the radiation of the phone and all its magnetics. Dr. Um, Tio, uh, one of the greatest uh, brain surgeons in the world, says that Nearly all of the cancers he works on in brain tumors and what have you are, in his opinion, 100% caused by mobile phones. And he's not just talking about mobile phones up to the side of the head, although that has uh, really reduced the, the topic, reduced the issue quite a lot. He's just talking about the presence of electronics in our life. Uh, and now we've even got Teslas where the whole car is just one big electronic radiation bubble of digitized uh, communication. So, uh, look, I, I think for rest, it's nice to go out in the forest, put the mobile phone in uh, off and uh, stick it in a bag or something and just walk without digital connection and commu communication, even if it's a park or a beach or whatever. Certainly your bedroom it would be wise to de-digitize it. And last but not least, I think it's really critical to, for rest to feel connected. So the, the proverbial, um, I used to, in the 30-day challenge, uh, whenever I take people through it, one day is the I fast. The I fast, it's not breakfast, it's the I fast where you spend a whole day not saying the word I or my. I, me, my is banned for a day. And you do an I fast. And the reason we do an I fast is the self-obsession that is essential for existence under trauma. We, we must, to heal, we must become self-obsessed. If we think we're broken, 
if we think we're messed up, if we think we've uh, got a wound, if we think we're in physical or emotional or pain of any description, we become self-obsessed. So a person who's self-obsessed will say, I me, my, I me, my, perpetually. I think, I feel, I, I want, I don't, I do, I do, I do, me, me, my, my, I, my, my, my. They'll be thinking, how does this affect me? And that's essential. It's really important that we do that when we're broken and in pain. But some people are self-causing their pain because their expectations and their likes and dislikes become more important than unconditional love. And so they self-inflict themselves with pain. And therefore, <coughs> it becomes like a mouse in a, in a Ferris wheel, in a rotating wheel. The faster they um, heal, the more they self-obsess, the more pain they have, the more they self-obsess and, until they become an, an absolute narcissist by habit. And the narcissism by habit is probably one of the most toxic places that we can go because it's on the cusp of being uh, schizophrenic. Narcissism by habit, which is I mean my, 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 my, while we generate more uh, righteousness around my expectations of what I like and the way I think it should go, which breeds more narcissism, which causes more pain, which feeds itself back. And so, the, the, the concept of going to nature and connecting and the love of nature and taking photographs of nature is the concept of for just for once in a while in a day or becoming aware of the, the simplicity of feeling connected to, to a bigger thing than I. So it's sort of, uh, in a way, it's, it's, an, it's a merging it's merging with nature, merging with the universe, merging with what you want to call God or wh whatever you'd like to define the bigger picture, becoming one with the all. So to do that, we have to lose a sense of self. And to lose a sense of self is always being taught in the East, is to go out into nature. Uh, and if we become, if we continue to think while we're out in nature, we need to walk faster or we need to observe things. And in the Greek uh, teachings, it was to observe beauty, whether it's in a human being or whether it's in a painting or whether it's in nature. Um, and in the Greek teachings, it was symmetry, proportion and order, which they call mathematics. So even beauty uh, was a mathematical formula that because what philosophers have tried to do for years and years is give a sensory definition to the word soul. And the Greeks did a great job. They said soul is beauty, the witnessing of beauty, which is getting out of the eye. Therefore, uh, the beauty that the soul witnesses is a sensory experience, which is witnessing um, symmetry, proportion and order, which is how all buildings were built in, in Greece and uh, 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 the isosceles triangle and all these things came about because they, they triggered the soul they triggered the, the sensory perception that fed the soul. And I really, I really think it's a, it's a great approximation that ultimately, with all that theory put aside, ultimately it's a walk in a park <laughs> where you look at a leaf and you look at a bird and you look at a tree and you go, wow, 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 wow. And while you're saying wow at the beauty, you forget yourself and you eye tox. And I think merging with the all is the final 
place, we must go to have a complete and thorough rest. So, I hope you've enjoyed this uh, podcast. If you have, share it around. Um, Troy and I have just finished another one, so if you're looking for more information on this, slip over to Change One, Change All on iTunes and make sure you don't become part of the, the silent majority, become part of the vocal minority and like and comment and share it around because we do do these podcasts, Troy and I, and we do, I do this one to, in order to bring the world to a, a, a greater awareness of unconditional love, of inner peace being as important as anything in, in the universe and that we are really the role models or the real models for the people that we love. And that's how we cause the universe and the world around us to change. This is Chris. You have a beautiful day. Bye for now.